Good morning, church. Uh, thank you, Elder Alan. Well, the best way to follow the sermon is really to have your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, if you find it helpful to have outline, you can download our bulletin from our website. Or we have a hard copy at the back as well. You can take it from there near the fire hydrant or with Pastor Adrian there if you need one. All right. Now, I watched this uh, video recently regarding Asian Americans. And this particular video is about how you know you have an Asian mom without needing anyone to tell you about it. Now, in the video, in the video there's an elderly mom who keeps peeling humongous oranges for the family after their meal. Now, it was definitely more than what they can eat. But she keeps saying that, ah, oh, you guys will eat it, you will enjoy more, and you eat some more, and oranges are full of vitamin C, you should eat more. Now, I'm sure many of us can identify with that. See, many Asian parents do not tell you they love you. However, they will show you their love with their actions. Their actions of preparing food for you, caring for your physical needs, and driving you around speak volumes. Their deeds show that you mean a lot to them and they love you. But it's not just the old people. You know, last week was my wife's birthday and uh, knowing that my wife may seem like flowers, my daughter Caris decided to buy some for her. However, she, like, like many youths, she's rather broke, right? So she went to the only place she knew that sells flowers within her budget. And guess where? It was the giant supermarket. Now, what kind of flowers did she buy? We see on the slide. Well, she got her a bunch of brightly colored chrysanthemums. Now, some of you laugh, right? Because you know the significance of the significance of chrysanthemums. Now, for many of the young ones around here, you know, you may not know, chrysanthemums are usually used and often used at funerals, right? And uh, for worship of other religions in Singapore. So what does her action tell us? Now, firstly, it tells us that she was ignorant about all these cultural practices. However, her action also tells us that she loves her mom. She would take the trouble and use whatever little money she has to please her mom. So you see, my friends, our actions speak louder than words. We can know a lot of things from our actions. And similarly, in our passage today, the Apostle John tells us that we can know a lot from how we treat one another. And he encourages his readers and also us in verse 18 to love one another in deeds. In other words, Christians are to put their love in action. See, when Christians do that, John tells us that it will reveal a lot of things. So the big question for us today is what do we know when we love others in action? 
What do we know when we love others in action? Well, firstly, we know our spiritual status when we love others in actions. You see, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 is the hinge verse between last week's and today's sermon or the passage. Allow me to read that verse for you. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. See, last week, over here, Pastor Chris and Pastor Edmund and Adam spoke about not sinning. See, if anyone keeps on sinning and does not practice righteousness, it only proves that he or she is a child of the devil and not of God. And then the end of verse 10, that introduces the theme of our passage today. It adds on another criterion to the paternity test. The presence or the absence of love for each other is the other evidence of who our spiritual father is. Is our father God or the devil? And so in verses 11 to 15, John urges his readers to love others as evidence that their spiritual father is indeed God. And he does that by, by making a big contrast, a big contrast between a Cain-like hatred and a Christ-like love. Right? A contrast between a Cain-like hatred and a Christ-like love. And he starts with that negative example of Cain in verse 12. See, the account of Cain and Abel uh, can be found in Genesis 4. See, both Cain and Abel, they offered a sacrifice to God. God was pleased with Abel's offering. However, he had no regard for Cain's offering. And the reason given in Genesis 4 by God is that Cain did not do right while he gave his offering. God then warned Cain that sin is crouching at his door, seeking or desiring to control him. And what did Cain do in response to that? Well, he murdered his brother Abel. And why did Cain do that? Well, 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 tells us that it is because Cain's deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. See, Cain was jealous of his brother. However, he was not jealous that, you know, Abel has a, a better gift. Rather, he was jealous about his brother's righteousness. See, his jealousy of Abel, being more righteous than him, lies at the heart of his hatred. And that hatred led him to murder. Cain took his brother out in the field and killed him there. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 then tells us that anyone who, kill, who hates his brother is a murderer. And that was surely the case for Cain. Now, some of us here, when you hear this, we, we might protest. Oh, that's not fair. See, not, of us, not all of us who hate someone else will kill that person. 
However, let us, let us remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 22, and we see that on the slide. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You see, in God's eyes, in Jesus' eyes, the attitude of the heart is the beginning of the action. See, before an evil deed is actualized, the attitude is already formed in the heart. And we saw that clearly in Jesus' life, right? He lived a righteous life. He did nothing wrong. Yet the religious leaders, they were jealous of him. They were jealous of his righteousness, which was far greater than theirs. Their jealousy led to hatred and it actualized in a successful plot to kill Jesus. Their actions revealed their attitudes. So both attitudes and actions will be judged by God. So what is the result of such hatred for one another? Verses 14 and 15 tells us that the person will remain in death. See, death is the default state of every sinner. There will be no eternal life for someone who keeps hating his brother or sister. Of course, that's not to say that all haters and murderers have no hope. There is a place for forgiveness when one repents and believes in Jesus. But nonetheless, the general principle is that one who keeps hating his brother and sister shows that he has yet to repent. He or, then, he or she then remains in spiritual death. But at the same time, hate for fellow believers also reveal who his or her father is. See, verse 12 tells us that all those who hate like Cain are of the devil. This understanding echoes what Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 44. It says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. See, my friends, someone who hates is following the ways and the desires of the devil. You see, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Why? Because his desire was to drive a wedge between God and humanity. Right? And that resulted in Adam and Eve being ejected from God's presence and the tree of life. Sin and death entered the world through the devil's work. Hence, all those who hate and all those who murder reveals themselves to be the children of the devil. Their actions reveal that. They take after and follow his ways and his desires. So this is the spiritual state of those who hate. Now at this juncture in his letter, 
John then digressed a bit to tell his readers the implications of having Cain-like haters around in verse 13. He tells them not to be surprised. Not to be surprised of what? That the world hates them. You see, it's likely that John associates these people who hate with the false teachers that was among them. They were now part of the world, part of this rebellious world that opposes God. They did not love the believers because they spread false teachings that may cause them to deny Jesus Christ. If the believers follow their false teachings, they will indeed lose their eternal life, so to speak. In that sense, these false teachers were truly murderers. And very likely at that point of time, they were still attempting to lead people astray. As such, though they, they would hate those who are still remaining in the church, those who remain righteous, those who remain steadfast in Jesus. So my friends, what, that, what, what might that mean for us as Christians? Well, we are not to be surprised that the world hates us. See, as Christians, we hold on to certain values that the world finds offensive. For example, you may not agree to join your colleagues, your fellow students, your bosses in cheating or making false claims. You may also not want to join certain social activities that involve maybe heavy drinking or, or dodgy entertainment. And instead, as a Christian, you uphold biblical values of honesty, integrity, sexuality, and purity. See, the consequences of being righteous could be ostracization. You are shunned, and nobody seems to want to make friends with you. And in some cases, you may be sidelined or even targeted by others. You know, one commentator, O'Donnell, he puts it very well. He says, If the world hates us when we are practicing righteousness, we are doing something right. Conversely, if the world warmly embraces us, it is likely because we have warmly embraced the world. Now, my friends, this is not to encourage Christians to be militant, and uh, aggressive to invite hate. But it is to warn us that even if we are gentle in our approach, gentle in our demeanour, we can still be hated for our values. So brothers and sisters in Christ, we should not be surprised when the world hates us. And then we come back to John's main line of exhortation in, in chapter 3. See, after urging the readers to love fellow believers with a negative example, John then urges them with a positive example. In contrast to hating others, believers are to love others. And why is that so? Well, verse 11 tells us that it is because it is the very message they heard from the beginning. 
And this message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was what was preached to them and how they became Christians. See, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is about the love of God. It was about how God loved the world that He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for undeserving sinners. So all those who believe and follow Jesus ought to love others. And what do we know when we love others? It shows that we are truly of God and know the love of God. You see, Maxine and I, we have two children. Now, they both grew up with uh, different traits, different strengths, different weaknesses. Now, whenever my kids display good athletic skills and, and great coordination abilities, I will often claim credit for me. It's mine. They are just like their father, right? On the other hand, when, when they are clumsy, they, they keep falling down, then I say, oh, well, that belongs to Maxine, that's her. Those are your genes. And then, whenever they have problems with doing math, and Mason gets all frustrated with teaching them, I have to keep apologizing to my wife. That one is on me. I can't do my math. Right? See, our children take after us in many ways. How they are reflect who we are as parents. But we do not only reflect and review our earthly parents. How we are and what, what we do also reflect and review who our spiritual father is. You see, if hating others reveal that we are the children of the devil, then loving others reveals that we are children of God. See, love is the character, the attitude, and the love of God. Those who are His children will love as He did. But that's not all. We also review our spiritual status and destiny when we love. See, verse 14 tells us that we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Now, it's important to make clear that loving fellow Christians does not give us eternal life in and of itself. See, the important word here is the word know. Right? To know. Loving fellow believers is the evidence and not the entry pass to eternal life. Love for others shows that God has already saved us and He has changed us. And that is why we can love as He did. See, we become more and more like God, our Father, and we become more and more like Jesus, our Lord. And that is how we know we have passed out of death to eternal life. So what do we know when we love others in action? Well, firstly, we know our spiritual status when we love others in action. See, when we hate and do not love, it shows that we are children of the devil, and remain in spiritual death. However, when we love others, it shows that we are children of God and we have eternal life. But secondly, we know God's love when we love others in action. 
See, after telling the, the readers that their love for others is the evidence of life, John then explained what the nature of this love is. See, in verse 16, John says that by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, this sort of, uh, the sort of love that, that John advocates is the love that is exemplified by Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for us. See, if hate is murder, the taking of life, then love is the giving of life. It is a self-sacrificial love for the good of others. However, John didn't just define love literally as the self-sacrifice of one's life for others. He actually puts it in very practical terms as well in verse 17. It says there, but if anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, these verses tell us that love cannot be merely words and talk only. Now, that is not to say that words of love are unimportant. They have its place. By saying that words alone are insufficient. See, love must manifest itself in actions and deeds. You know, one of our CLDG leaders, Alvin Cole, he coined this very apt phrase, and I quote him, Faith without deeds is dead, and love without deeds is fake. Right? Faith without deeds is dead, and love without deeds is fake. See, this verse also tells us that not only are Christians to be willing to lay down their lives for each other, we also ought to lay down our self-interest to serve those in need. Now, sometimes it may even be easier to give up one's life for another. For example, you may be willing to take a bullet you know, for a wife or a children and then you just die instantaneously, right? No pain or very quick pain, right? But in contrast, you may not be willing to keep providing and caring for someone in need because it can be very difficult and exhausting, especially when it's over a long period of time. Therefore, we need God's love to be able to love and care practically in this way. See, God's love is the driving and the empowering force that fuels our love in action. So whenever we are able to love fellow brothers and sisters in such practical ways, it only shows that we have God's love in us. But on the other hand, if we close our hearts against fellow believers in need and not help them, it shows that God's love is not in us. As the late John Stott astutely says, as life does not dwell in the murderer, so love does not dwell in the miser. 
If it does not dwell in the murderer, it does not dwell in the miser as well. See, if we are stingy with our love, it only reveals that we, are not, we have not received and we have not understood the generous love of God in Christ. See, sometimes the opposite of love is not hatred, but it can be apathy. Apathy is the absence of love to act for the interests of others. See, at this point, it is good to summarize what we have been learning so far, what John is teaching about love and hatred. See, the Apostle John divides humanity in only two categories. You are either of the world, you are either the world itself, actually, or Christians, the church. The attitude of the world is to hate, resulting in murder. The stereotype or the example of the world is Cain who murdered his brother. Their hate then reveals that they are of the devil and they remain in death. On the other hand, the attitude of the Christian is to love, resulting in self-sacrificial deeds for the interests of others. The prototype or the example of Christians is the Lord Jesus himself who laid down his life for us. Their love then reveal that they are of God and have passed from death to eternal life. So what do we know when we love others in action? Firstly, we know our spiritual status. Secondly, we know God's love, for it is God's love which enables us to love self-sacrificially. But thirdly, we know our confidence when we love others in action. And it's this confidence that we have before God. See, verse 19 begins, By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. Before Him, Him referring to God. The this here probably refers to the practical love Christians have towards their fellow brothers in verse 18. In other words, when Christians love their brothers and sisters and they do it in actions and in deeds, they are confident that they are of the truth. And the truth here refers to the gospel of Jesus. Their love shows that they have truly believed in the gospel and that has enabled them to love like Jesus. You know, but as we all know and experience, we are not always able to love as consistently and as self-sacrificially as Jesus did. There are times, or many times, when we fail to love. And perhaps that is what the phrase, for whenever our heart condemns us, in verse 20 means. See, we accuse ourselves whenever we fail to love. And in those instances, we are to then remember that God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Now what does God is greater than our hearts mean? Now there are plenty of discussion among the scholars about this. However, the majority of the scholars believe that it means that God is more merciful and generous than our self-condemning hearts. And that is because Jesus has come to die for our sins 
including our failures to love. If so, then this is an echo of chapter 1 verse 9 and chapter 2 verse 2. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God can forgive and cleanse us because Jesus has atoned for our sins. He has already died to take the punishment for our failures to love. So this is, this is objective assurance for all of us. See, this type of assurance is not dependent on how well we love, but on how Jesus has loved by dying on the cross. And that is perhaps how God is greater than our condemning hearts. But then we ask ourselves, how does the fact that God knows everything be a comfort to our condemning heart? Doesn't it sound worse that God knows every of our failures to love? Well, counterintuitively, it is not worse. See, despite knowing all our failures, past, present, future, Jesus still died for us. See, every of our sin is known to God, but they are paid for by Jesus once for all. See, no sin is unknown and unpaid for by the Lord Jesus. And that is why it can still be a comfort. But on the other hand, there are times when our hearts are not condemning us according to verse 21. And perhaps this describes the experience when we were able to love others self-sacrificially. So this is a kind of, not objective, but a bit of subjective assurance that we feel that we are right with God because we are doing right. However, this kind of non-condemning heart can also be the result of knowing that Jesus has atoned for our sins. See, I remember a time uh, when a youth was, has done something wrong, well, he damaged a part of the church building because of his playfulness. And he felt so guilty, right, that he would always avoid me. Right? He would always hide behind his other friends or then he would take a longer way to sell me. Right? And it wasn't until he was assured again and again that I'm not angry with him that he began to have confidence of being near to me and having conversations with me again. So similarly, when, when Christians do not or no longer have a condemning heart, we have confidence before God. It is a confidence that we are in a right relationship with God because of Jesus. And according to verse 22, the resulting benefit of that is that whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Now, that may sound like a blank check, right? Or, or a genie in the lamp kind of idea. However, the assumption is that we are keeping God's command and doing what pleases God. And this singular commandment is defined for us in verse 23. It is to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. So this tells us that the things we ask of God are things that pleases God and probably in line with our obedience and our love for others. So it's not just any random thing we ask for and God will give us. So in summary, let us come back to our big question today, right? 
What do we know when we love others in action? Firstly, we know our spiritual status. Secondly, we know God's love. And thirdly, we know our confidence before God. So what does, that all, but what does all this mean for us? Now, very clearly, this passage encourages us to love one another, to love one another sacrificially in actions and in deeds. See, while loving others is not the prerequisite to a right relationship with God, it is nonetheless the evidence of that relationship. We who claim to know God, we who claim to know His love, ought to love as He did. So how do we love practically and sacrificially? Well, I remember a sister in church who has since gone home to the Lord. She's a single lady who was struck with cancer that kept coming back. As a result of cancer, she couldn't go to the hospital safely on her own anymore. So for long periods of time, the disciple group members chauffeured and accompanied her to her appointments and her treatments. And wherever she was hospitalized, the DG members would visit her regularly to care for her and pray for her. And even near her death, near her passing, they even became the, the organizer for all those who come to visit her. See, my friends, that is love in action. Another way to love practically is to serve in the many ministries that are in need of helpers and leaders. You see, every week, we have many people serving in different ministries. Children's Church, Basic, Rosa, Tabitha, BBGB, Mercy, Music, Sound, Tech, just, just to name a few. Right? And most of these ministries are often desperately in need of people. Every week in our star meeting, we are always asking each other to pray for people to be willing to serve. For there are sheep waiting to be shepherded. There are the unsaved waiting to be gospel. And there are people waiting to be encouraged. And there is work waiting to be completed. So my friends, ask yourself how you can perhaps love by serving. See, do not close your heart when there is a need. Different ministries have different levels of commitment. So go speak to the pastors or leaders of this ministry and see how you can serve. But when you do that, it shows that you love one another as Jesus has loved you. But you know, love in action need not necessarily be in such formal ministry. See, we can take initiative and be proactive. It can be as simple as going up to speak to newcomers or people who are alone here or when they go to the canteen, they, they, no one else seems to be with them. So you can always be the one to take the initiative to go and speak to someone. It can be the same for your small group as well. Maybe even in the small group, there will be people out there who nobody is really going up to them. See, every small group, whether in basic, in, in children's church, in bars, or even in the adult DGs, there will always be that one or two of them who are a bit special. Right? 
it, it can be harder to have conversations with them. And their preferences and their interests are often different from the rest of the group, including yours. So how do you think you can show practical love to these special people? Well, it will definitely be out of your comfort zone. You and your group may have to make decisions that are not your preference. It will take a lot more effort on your part to continue a conversation. But my friends, what is love when it doesn't cost you anything? See, my friend, love is costly. In order to love, we need to know and have God's love in us. And we must constantly look to Jesus who laid down his life for us. His love for us, even when we were sinners, is not only our example, but also our enabling power. And it is his atoning sacrifice that will assure us when we fail and give us the confidence to ask him for help to love others as he did. Let us go to God in prayer. Oh dear me, Father, we, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you for telling us again about your amazing love for us. You who is the high king of heaven, laid down your life for sinners such as us to pay for our sins and make us right with God. We pray that you may fill us with the Holy Spirit and to fill us with your love so that we are able to love others as you did. Help us not to be indifferent. Help us not to be apathetic to the needs of our fellow brothers and sisters. But assure us also of your grace and your mercy when we fail. And may you move our hearts once again to love as we remember the love of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.